You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. We are in our third week of this series on origins and if it's your first time with us, you're, you're coming in and we've already hit the accelerator for the past two weeks, so you're going to have to kind of catch up because we are getting deep this week as we've been talking about um, this topic of the beginning of identity relationships and sexuality from Genesis 1 through 3. And where we've already been, we've already been uh, the first week in looking at God's good creation, that God made this physical world and he looked at it and he said, it's very good. And he created man and woman in his own image. And when he did that, he designed them to complement each other, to fit together literally. And I'm going to say it so that their anatomical parts fit together. And when they fit together, the possibility for new image bearers, new people, happens. And this beautiful thing that God has created. But then last week we saw that sin entered the world that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and when they did, they broke their relationship with him, and everything else was scorched by sin. For the first time, Adam and Eve feel bad about themselves. They're hiding in shame because of sin's effects. Not only that, but we see that they actually have contempt for one another. Like they had loved each other, and they had been soulmates, and, and then all of a sudden they have this sense of contempt because their relationship is scorched by sin. And then not only that, we see that their desires are scorched by sin. And that brings us into today's theme where we are talking about desire, disconnect, and design here in week three. We're actually going to go to the New Testament. Uh, We're going to look at the New Testament and we're going to look at the teaching of Jesus from the New Testament because in this particular Uh, sermon today, Jesus actually points us right back to the Old Testament. He points us back to Genesis 1 and 2 and to the origin story. And so we're going to be in the Bible, uh, page 560, Matthew 19. Does anybody need a Bible? If you do, you can raise your hand and we will bring some Bibles around. We got one here. We got a couple over on the right side here. Keep your hands raised. And as you get those CSB Bibles, it is on page 560. We are going to be uh, in a challenging topic again, and the reason that we're not shying away from sexuality, relationships, and identity is because if we really want to be a family of fully formed disciples of Jesus, we don't get to pick and choose where we obey Jesus and where we don't obey him. We have to obey Jesus in everything that he commands. By his grace, by the power of his spirit, we have to obey Jesus in our relationships, in our sexuality, in our identity, and our desire. And I think in this moment, we're honestly a little afraid to talk about these things in our culture because they're so volatile. They're so volatile. Uh, Last week, I visited another church, and uh, the room was packed full of people. It was super exciting. The music was loud. And then the pastor got up to preach, and the text he preached from, right in the middle of the text, was this verse about sexuality and how God viewed sexuality. 
And the pastor skipped over the verse. And I don't blame him in one sense, but he didn't mention it. He didn't say, go back and read it. It was almost as if he was hiding it. And I looked around, and no one had their Bibles open. And so no one even knew that they had skipped a verse that talked about sexuality. And look, we are four other churches. We need more people preaching the gospel. We need more people preaching the word of God. Yet, we cannot shy away from difficult things. We can't hide who God is. Uh, and I wanted to say, brother, you have this awesome opportunity with all these people in this room to tell people who God is graciously, compassionately, but also truthfully. Here's who God is. And as a pastor, it's really not up to me to decide what I tell you about God and what I don't tell you about God. I, I'm, I'm supposed to tell you about God. I'm supposed to tell you about God. And I don't want to hide who God is to make it more palatable for you. There's this great quote that says, God created human beings in his own image, and human beings return the favor. In other words, God made us with dignity and respect, and then we said, well, God, here's who we want you to be. And we can't do that. Even if it's hard, even if there's hard things, and we're going to get into some hard things, we can't ignore those because that's who God really is. And he's the authority, he's the king, and we're responding to who he is. But in light of all that, I want to tell you even before we get started that God loves you. You matter to him. No matter where you are in your life right now, you matter to him. And you matter to me. And one of the reasons that we've gone very slow in the first two weeks is because you matter to me. And I want to get you on board slowly so that as we dive in today, you'll understand what we were building from. I didn't want to just jump and go zero to 60. I wanted to ease into it so you could understand why I'm going to say what I'm going to say today from Jesus' teaching. But in light of that, we need to pray. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, you are the eternal God. You are the one who sent the Spirit. You are the one who will reign forever. We are your beloved people, and we want to learn how to respond to you and follow you and obey you. And so I pray that you would open our hearts today as we look at your word and that you might shape us and you might help us and you might give us courage as we look at your teaching. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's dive into Matthew 19, 1 through 9. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning, did you hear that? He who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers to send her away? He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. 
I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The Word of God. All right. How, uh, how do we flourish in our relationships, in our identity, in our sexuality? That question and the answer to that question has changed drastically in the last 50 years. In the last 50 years, what has changed has been that the controlling principle around sexuality and relationships and identity is what do you want to do? What is your desire? What's inside of you? And then go after it. 50 years ago, something started called the sexual revolution. And some of you live through that, and some of you, that's like something that you only look up on Wikipedia and you, you kind of know what it is. But basically what happened was there was traditional values and boundaries for appropriateness around relationships, sexuality, and identity in our culture. And people said, well, why do we have to follow those? Why do we have to put on these cultural constructs? Why can't we do what we want to do when it comes to our desires and our sexuality and our relationships? And what they found was, hey, listen, publicly we're all following these cultural norms, but privately we're not. So if privately we're not doing it, if people are sleeping around on the side, why don't we just say that should be the norm? And what happened is the the norms for sexuality in our culture began to drastically change. And people said men and women should be able to pursue the desires that they want. Why why hide it? And really what was behind that was this idea that people flourish when they're able to pursue exactly what they want. Human beings flourish when they're able to do whatever they want with their sexuality, with their relationships, and with their identity. People flourish when they're able to follow their own desires. But what's happened over the past 50 years is that our culture has shifted as we've been following our own desires. And we have begun to disconnect sexuality from things that it's always been connected to. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, Oregon, talks about five disconnections that have happened over the past 50 years. And some of these disconnections, you'll go like, well, that actually happened? Like, it seems like that's just the way things are. Well, in the last 50 years, a disconnect has happened. And so some of these are in the past, some of them are presently happening, and some of them are coming as we base our sexuality solely on what we desire. And the first thing that John Mark Comer points out is that sexuality has been disconnected from childbearing. Sexuality has been disconnected from childbearing. In 1960, the first oral contraceptive was approved by the FDA. And while there were contraceptives before that, the first oral one was approved by the FDA in 1960. And then in 1972, and this will sound crazy from our cultural moment, it wasn't until 1972 that single people were allowed to purchase contraceptives. 1972. And all of a sudden, what changes in our culture is sexuality gets disconnected from childbearing. And for the first time, it's legal, in a sense, to experience the pleasure of sexuality, but disconnected from the possibility of making a baby. Sexuality was disconnected from childbearing. 
But then what we're seeing in the last 20 years is more and more sexuality has been disconnected from marriage. Almost every culture throughout history has had some connection between marriage and sexuality. And our culture in this moment, we are living with this disconnection between sexuality and marriage. And, and people don't necessarily think that the two have a connection. It hasn't always been that way. That is a recent disconnection. And what we've seen more recently, even in the past four years, is that sexuality has been disconnected from male-female relationships. You'll remember in 2015 that the Supreme Court made a decision, a 5-4 ruling, that uh, all 50 states were to honor and perform and recognize same-sex unions. And now that we have four years in, it seems normal, but we just have to remember this disconnection just came legally five, four or five years ago. Not only that, the fourth disconnection is that sexuality has been disconnected from love and emotional commitment. With apps like Tinder, the dating scene is now the hookup culture. That's rather new. That's rather new where now the norm is Tinder. It's not dating, it's hooking up. And for the first time in our culture, that has become the norm and sexuality has been disconnected, not just from marriage, but from any sort of commitment. And then lastly, where we are headed, sex is becoming disconnected from people. Sexuality is becoming disconnected from people. There is a growing movement, and this might shock you, there's a growing movement for robots to be designed by people as companions. True story. And you might, you, might, you might be shocked by that, but that is coming. There is a movement growing around us where you can design your own companion to meet your desires, and that companion is not a human. Now, all these things are different. I'm not saying that they're all the same. And yet they do have a common connection. And what's behind each of these shifts, what's behind each of these disconnections is the belief that human flourishing happens when we pursue our own desires when we pursue sexuality based on our own desires, when we, do, when we pursue a relationship solely based on our desires. And it has led to these disconnects. And as we are on this shift, this movement of disconnects that's based solely on our desires, we have to go, well, where is this going next? What's the next thing? Although these things are not the same, there is a common stream behind them around desire. What's next when it comes to desire? And here's what we're seeing. The general principle in our culture is that sexuality should be between two consenting adults. And that is widely accepted and yet at the same time being very questioned because people don't desire that. People are saying, listen, if it's two consenting adults, why not three? Why can't four people get married as long as they're committed? And not only that, but we're seeing people question around adults. Why does it have to be adults? And while all these things are not the same, the principle behind them is the same, is that we're saying sex people flourish when they are able to pursue their own sexual desires as they want. But we have to ask the question, has the, has the pursuit of our own sexual desires, has that delivered? Has that delivered? 
not only are we heading somewhere, but we're in a moment right now where we're largely ignoring the fallout of our culture around sexuality. We're largely ignoring the destruction that's come from the disconnect of pursuing sexuality based on what we want. We've chased the promises of sexual desire, and there is a painful mess that has been left in its wake. When you look at studies from the hookup culture, you will find that most of the studies say this. In a random sexual encounter with no commitment, what ends up happening is people immediately feel euphoric. Like that sexual encounter with someone random, it's awesome, I feel great. But then what happens after that is very different. People struggle with negative mental health. People, both men and women, experience regret, embarrassment, low self-esteem. Both men and women feel a sadness over being used and a sadness of using somebody else. That, to me, does not sound like human flourishing. And listen, I'm getting deep in here, and my point is not to make you feel bad. My point is to tell you why you do feel bad. I'm not here to judge you. I'm, I'm you. I'm here to tell you why you're getting beat up. Because the promises of the sexual revolution have not delivered. Not only has the hookup culture failed us, but as people have ignored their marital commitments and pursued their own desires, we have a generation of fatherless children. And if you have been through a divorce, you know that it is so challenging to get over the the psychological effects of those divorces. One of my friends who's a pastor, he's 40-something years old, and his parents just got divorced. He's 40-something years old, and I've had to watch him just wrestle, like, why now? He's got his own family, he's got three kids, and yet there's something in him that that feels deeply broken. Not only that, but one of my close friends just went through a divorce. His wife left, and it wasn't his choice, it wasn't his desire, and uh, I texted him, and I just said, man, how are you doing? Like, are you okay? Are you surviving? And if you can put the text up, this is what he said. By the way, he said I could show this to you. He said, I am certain that divorce does not destroy a man or a woman. We find love and hobbies and financial freedom. He's like, I'm learning to move on. But then he says, divorce hurts children. It tears down the foundation that they were born and raised into. It creates in them anxiety at at times and fear. It is awful. It's the one thing that I cannot get around. That's heavy stuff. But we have to ask, is that human flourishing? Are those children flourishing? And again, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to tell you why you're getting beat up, how you're getting beat up. Because we've believed the promises of the sexual revolution and they are failing us miserably. We've seen the spread of disease and people become victims of the disease where their lives are forever altered. And we have to ask the question, is that human flourishing? And yet all the time in media and TV and films we're, we're taught, yeah, when you live out your life and you pursue your desires as the way you want, that's flourishing. And yet, what the TV and media and film portrays isn't even real. It's not even real. People do not have simultaneous orgasms all the time when they're having sex. That's the movies. That's not real. That's not how it works. 
But as we're exposed to that over and over again, and as more and more people are exposed to pornography, what we're finding is that porn actually makes your sex life worse. People have difficulties relating to a real person after exposure to pornography. And that's not human flourishing. And the truth is that you and I have been lied to. We have been lied to, like Eve in the garden. The serpent approached her and said, did God really say? And the serpent has approached our culture and said, did God really say? And we've said, just like Eve, you know what, I don't think I need to obey God here. I don't really need him here. And we've decided we know how to flourish. We've got it. And the way we flourish is doing what we want with our sexuality and our relationships and our identity, but we're largely ignoring the massive fallout of the sexual revolution in our culture. And we have to ask ourselves, is there a better way? Is this really human flourishing? Or has the sexual revolution and the promise of it, has it failed us massively? That's where Jesus steps on the scene in our culture. In the midst of our fallout, Jesus comes near and says, follow me. Follow me. In our story, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were experts in the law. And the Pharisees ask him a question about sexuality and relationships and desire. And what they ask him is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds, for any reason, because they want, they desire something different than the spouse they have. And at that time, there were three schools of thought among the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees thought the only reason that people should get divorced is if there's cheating. If there's cheating, then the covenant of marriage has been broken and people should go their separate ways. But there were other people who said, no, 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 no. If the wife's not really a good wife, then the husband has the right to leave. But then there was still a third school that said a husband can leave his wife for any reason. If he sees someone more fair, he sees someone more beautiful, and he desires her, he can leave. And they're bringing this question to Jesus in hopes of trapping him and getting him to say something against the law of Moses. But what's interesting about Jesus' response, they ask, is it lawful? Is it right or wrong? And Jesus doesn't answer, here's what's right, here's what ro it's wrong at first. Jesus answers according to origins. Jesus answers according to in the beginning. Jesus answers by saying who God is, who he's created us to be, and how we are designed. Jesus doesn't answer about the law. He answers about design. See, a lot of times we will approach Christianity and go, what's right and what's wrong in areas of our sexuality? Is it right or wrong to live together before we're married? Is it, is it wrong to have a same-sex relationship if you're committed? Is it, is it wrong to have a divorce if, if both people want the divorce? And maybe... Just maybe Jesus wouldn't answer us first about right or wrong, but maybe he would point us back to our origins. He would answer within the beginning. He would talk about who God was and who he made us to be and who we are as his creation. 
Jesus answers with design in verses 4 through 6. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? He starts off with everything that we've been talking about as people created in the image of God, as made with dignity and honor, as God's representatives in this world that God has made not the same but different, male and female, these these two human beings who are alike and not alike, who need one another, who were created to fill the earth with more image bearers as their anatomical parts fit together which is the very foundation of human culture. The very foundation of human culture. In other words, every person in this room is here because a male sperm fertilized a female egg. At the very core of what it means to be human is that God created us male and female, and through that relationship with one another, more image bearers, more people are produced. And if there are no more sperm to fertilize no more eggs, humanity ends. This is at the very rock-bottom foundation of what it means to be human. That God created us male and female. Right now, Christianity is being accused of being anti-transgender. Anti-transgender. And let me say this first of all. Christianity has been quick to judge and slow to show compassion to people who are struggling with transgender issues. And yet, at the same time, Jesus would teach us here that part of being made in the image of God, part of being creation from a creator, is that every human being has dignity and honor and respect. And yet, God has made us male and female. Now, I know many people struggle with that, and maybe you struggle with that. And if that's you, I have compassion. We're not against you. We're not against people who would believe that they're transgender. We love them. We want to walk with them. Please come talk to me if you are wrestling with that. And we would even say that society has at times been cruel to you, and at times so has the church. And if that's happened to you, I apologize. And yet at the same time, God created you male and female. And being male and female is the very rock-bottom foundation of culture, of what it means to be human, that we might partner man and woman together as image bearers. And Jesus says, for this reason. The next thing Jesus says is, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus is saying that marriage is a permanent relationship between a man and a woman. And that sexuality, the design for sexuality is that it be expressed within that marriage relationship. And and the reason that he says for this reason is because what he's saying here is core to what it means to be human. A man leaves his parents, the closest human relationship he has had. He leaves his parents and he joins to a woman. And that word join, it it has the connotation of like cement, glue, 
that never gets separated. He leaves the closest relationship he's known in his father and mother, and he joins to a woman, which is now the new closest relationship he has for life. And he forms a new family where the two become one. The two become one. Sexuality was created to bond two people together. It's, it's not an action of animals. It, 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 it's something that God designed so that when man and woman came together, these endorphins and physiological reactions happen in our body that actually bond us to that person and tie our souls together, which is why Christians aren't, shouldn't be afraid of sex, nor should we think less of sex. We think sex is amazing because God made it to bind two people together as they sleep together in marriage. And what Jesus says is what God has joined together, let no man separate. I know a lot of people that when they hear this, they hear old-fashioned and they hear tradition. Like the girl says to her boyfriend, like, we can't let my grandma know that we're sleeping together because my grandma's old-fashioned. <laughs> right? But what Jesus is saying here is he's not talking about tradition and he's not talking about old-fashioned. Jesus is talking about vision and design. About vision and design. The vision that God has for human flourishing and the design that fits into that vision is a man and a woman in a lifetime commitment of covenant marriage where sexuality is freely expressed between them in that relationship. This is the vision and this is the design and, and I know that brings up a lot of questions and our culture has a lot of questions for Jesus. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, I understand that Jesus is saying this here, but Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Uh, Jesus didn't know about lifetime commitments between same-sex people. He didn't really understand our cultural moment and how normal it is for people to live together. And so he would probably say those things are right. But there we go again with the right or wrong rather than the vision and the design. And what Jesus is saying here, when he presents this vision and design, he is making a statement about humanity. First, before he says right and wrong, he says, here's the vision, here's the design. And the way you know if it's right or wrong is you ask the question, does it match? Does it fit within that vision of God's design for human flourishing? When I was single, I had a Honda Accord. And it was a four-door car. It wasn't anything flashy, uh, but it was okay. It was okay. And I got to this point where I was like, I don't really need this. I'm single. It's four doors. I don't need four doors. I never have anyone in the car with me. Uh, my car payment is a little high, and the mileage is okay, but it's not great. And what I realized was that car didn't fit with my life. It, it, didn't, it wasn't helping me flourish, especially in my finances. And I decided that what I needed to do was get a new car. And the vision was that I wanted a car that was, first of all, safe. It was safe because I was on the interstate a lot traveling to work. But then it would also be economical because I didn't want to spend money that I didn't have to. But then because I was single, I was like, I also want something that is fun. So safe, economical, and fun, that's the vision. And I did research for a month. I looked online, I looked through all sorts of trucks and cars, and what I landed on 
What I landed on for a design was a two-door, manual transmission, two-wheel drive, Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. A, a truck was safe, manual transmission stick, that's fun, and two-wheel drive, and a two-door means it's a smaller truck and it uses less gas mileage. I did all the research and I said, this is it. This is what I want. This fits with the vision. I went to a used car lot on Toyota's uh, lot once I figured out what I wanted. And I pulled up onto the lot and the salesman met me. He was ready. <laughs> he, <laughs> he met me and I said, here's what I want. Here's the design I want. I want a two-door manual transmission, two-wheel drive, Toyota Tacoma truck. Silver, black, or white, like no weird colors. I just want silver, black, or white. And he was like, I got it. I got it for you. So I hopped in his car. He took me to the other side of the lot, and he said, here is your Toyota Tacoma truck. And he showed me a four-door, extra cab, four-wheel drive, pastel blue with a weird stripe on it truck. And I said, maybe you didn't hear me, man. I, I, I want a two-door, two-wheel drive, manual transmission, Toyota Tacoma pickup truck in silver or black or white. And he said, I got it. Okay. So he takes me to the other side of the lot, and we get out of the car, and he points me to a two-door, manual transmission, two-wheel drive, Dodge Ram. It was white, but it was a Dodge Ram. And I said, listen, man, you're not hearing me. I know the vision. This is the design I want. I don't need to go through every car and say yes or no at every car. Here's the vision. Here's the design. Do you have it or not? And he's like, have you looked into a Camry? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I think it's similar as Jesus presents this vision and design for sexuality. We get so caught up in what about this and what about that and what about this little variation and what about this design? And we go, well, what did Jesus say? Does it match with his vision? Does it match with the design? But we are like used car salesmen continuing to pitch stuff at Jesus that are outside of his vision and outside of his design. Look, I, I, I got a divorce because we grew apart and it didn't click. Does that fit with Jesus' vision? I got married to someone of the same sex because we're committed. Does that match with Jesus' design? I look at pornography to help me deal with sexual desire. Is that how Jesus has designed sexual flourishing? We're sleeping together because we know we're going to get married one day. Is that what Jesus said? Is that what Jesus said? We are like used car salesmen trying to pitch something at Jesus when he clearly states the design and the vision for sexuality and relationships. There's a guy on YouTube who says, we don't really know what the Bible teaches about sexuality. There's really no biblical vision for sexuality. And what he says is, because you can go and you can look at Abraham, and Abraham had two wives. So is the Bible teaching that we should have two wives? And then if you look at Judah, Judah was like a man of God, but he slept with a prostitute. So is that okay too? And what he fails to realize is there's a difference between what the, the Bible describes and what the Bible prescribes. I can describe what happens in my house and say, one of my kids hit the other one. 
But I can also prescribe and say, you should not hit each other. And just because the, the Bible describes sexuality that's outside of design, God's design doesn't mean it's prescribing for us. This is the vision for human relationships and for human flourishing. And all we have to do is go, does it fit? The vision and the design is that man and woman would come together in a lifetime commitment of covenant marriage and that sexuality would be expressed through that. And that is how human beings flourish. And I know many of you have questions. And so next week, I'm going to really try and answer questions. If you have questions, email them to me. I'll do my best to answer them uh, so that we can know how to move forward as a church in this. And the Pharisees had questions too. They, they came back to Jesus and they said, well, why, did, why was Moses commanding that we give divorce papers to our wives? In verse 19, 8 through 9, Jesus responds and he says, Moses didn't command. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And what Jesus is saying is because these men had disconnected from God's design because of their desire, Moses instituted a law that would protect these women who had been left behind. They were, they were issued divorce papers so that they could protect themselves financially because these men in Moses' time were taking advantage of these women. And the divorce papers were there to protect them. And the only reason the divorce papers were there was because their own hard hearts, because their own desires leading them away from God's design. And Jesus is again pointing them to the fact that marriage is the foundational way that the image of God is reflected in the world. Uh, marriage between a man and a woman is the, the, the way we flourish and where sexuality is expressed. And so let me ask you, where are you? As we talk about desire and disconnect and design, as we continue on and talk about sexuality and relationships and identity, where, where are you? Are you frustrated? As you hear the teaching of Jesus, does it make you feel hopeless or convicted? Do you feel lonely or ashamed or angry or curious? Because as we look at God's design, there is one thing that we have to understand. Seeing God's design can do that to us all. But as we see the design, it is so important that we see the designer. We aren't first called to a design, we're called to a designer. Before we live a certain way as a creature of God, we are called into relationship with creator God through Jesus who teaches us how to live, but he doesn't just teach us how to live. He comes to die in our place and cover us for our rebellion. He comes to show us God's design, but he also comes to save us for our rebellion against God. And so as you identify where you are, let me encourage you. Will you let him in? Will you learn from him? He's not a taskmaster. He is a caring king. 
who gave himself up for you on the cross. Will you follow him? In a moment when sex is up to each person's desire, will you follow and trust Jesus? Our culture tells us that we cannot be fully alive and flourishing unless we're sexually active. And yet Jesus walks on the scene. He walks out of the tomb. He reigns from heaven above, having never been married, having never been in a relationship with a woman, 2,000 years later, still a virgin. Still a virgin, and he did all that for you. For you, because he loves you. And so no matter where you are, Jesus wants to be near you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to love you because Jesus created you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your deep, deep love for us. Sinners, broken people who have not lived according to God's will, who have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet have the opportunity to be washed and cleansed and loved by an eternal God. Lord, I pray that today you would renew our understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, meet each person where they're at. As they hear these words, comfort them. Bring them towards your design and truth that we all might flourish being recreated in your image, O oh God. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we, as we sing? beautiful name